Hello, everybody. Um, I just got to call it out that it's really, really cold outside. Like, that breeze is brutal. Uh, something I saw today that was pretty phenomenal that I absolutely have to talk about. I was um, at the soccer fields. There are these soccer games happening, and, and I have a daughter who plays soccer. And the soccer game is happening, and this girl goes to kick the ball in a goal, right? And, um, and and she kicks like a good, solid kick. The ball is going in the center of the goal. Like, it isn't even like on the outside or, or over. It's like going right for it. And then it got blown out. Like, this gust of wind blew the ball. Like, it was just one of those, like, and everyone was perplexed by, could that count? Because that was going in, and the wind, it was like, that doesn't happen. That, that was what I was like, oh my gosh, I got to see something that no one else sees, you know? I was really excited about it. But, but, but I think that the cold, it's all our fault because there's this theory that I have um, about people are always complaining. Oh, summer just flew by. It went by so fast. Summer just flew by. And my theory is, is the earlier the pumpkin coffee comes, the sooner summer's going to end. And all of you are so all about pumpkin spice coffee. And it, September the 18th, Okay, September the 18th, that was the date that the pumpkin spice coffee showed up this year. And so kiss your summer goodbye. When, when the pumpkin comes, summer's done. So stop it and tell all the coffee people, start selling the pumpkin spice stuff when there's actually pumpkins. Anyway, so I'm buying a pumpkin spice coffee because it's September the 18th and I'm all about pumpkin spice things and I'm a hypocrite. And um, I really am. And, uh, and so I'm buying this pumpkin spice thing. And of course, you know, I have a speech impediment. I know it's hard to tell. Um, but I'm there saying, can I have the pumpkin like frappuccino spice thing? And I get caught up on this this, this thing. And the person behind the counter f finishes my order for me before I say it. And it's totally all right to complete my sentence, you know, like being my friend or my family or something like that. I'm totally cool with that. You know, like here, awesome, you know? And this person behind the counter, she completes my sentence for me. And I like instinctively like gave her the dirtiest look. And I didn't do it on purpose. It was, I was like, that was rude, you know, type of like, and she puts up her hands like this, like, whoa. And she goes, it's okay. I go to Christ's community. And it was like, oh, we're good, you know? And it, 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 it turned into this thing where I'm like, oh, we're totally fine then because we're family and this is good. And um, I love it here, you know? And uh, it's just that type of thing. Um, but going back to the pumpkin thing and fall, like fall is the time to like evaluate things. Do you know what I mean? Like, like summer is not the evaluation time. It's like, I am happy to be alive, you know, and things are happening and you are plowing forward and, and God is good. And then fall comes because the pumpkins come and, and then it gets colder and you're like, who am I? And, uh, and how did my summer actually go? And, and did I do all the things that I, I was hoping to 
do. And, and then you start to plan ahead because you feel bad about the summer and you, do, you didn't do it great. And then you start thinking about the things that you want to accomplish and you're evaluating and setting goals. And, and then you start to think about your finances and then panic sets in. Like that's this, this pattern that I have all the time. Because when I begin to think about the goals I have and the things that, that I hope to do, then I think about, about parenting, I think about my kids and they're going to college even though they're eight and ten and, and have I done a good job because of com compound you know like I should be saving more and and then then I began to think about the things that I have and do I have enough and it's going to be cold and did I cut enough f firewood for my like it just goes on and on and on and it's insane the places that my mind goes as far as fear and anxiety like I am a super anxious fearful type of guy whenever I sit down to evaluate who I am and the things I'm doing in my family over a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> Pastor Allen, Pastor Allen and I got together and he and I had been talking about the 12th chapter in the Gospel of Luke, right? And the 12th and 13th chapter in the Gospel of Luke are hard. Um, he and I both said, well, I actually brought up, I'm like, dude, Alan, this like passage, chapter 12, it's really hard. He goes, I know, and it doesn't get easier. And I was like, oh, I love it. Because the thing about the 12th chapter in the Gospel of Luke, Luke and the 13th chapter, it's like Jesus takes off his gloves. He's not trying to be kind. He's not trying to hug you. He's not trying to be encouraging. He's going to tell you how it is. And it's some hard things. And it's some good things. But it's the challenging things. So as this passage that, that, that you and I are about to go into comes up, this is falling kind of in a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, that our church has been doing for a long time now, probably over a year, and it's chapter 12. We got a long way to go. And so for the integrity of the conversation, tonight's topic, it is about finances. It is about money. It is about our heart. I hate talking about it too. There are so many other things that I would prefer to talk about. For instance, backpacking, right? Backpacking. I could talk forever about pack, the backpacking. A very important thing for someone who backpacks and enjoys backpacking, it is creating the perfect backpack, right? And because if you have the best backpacking and the, or the best backpack and the best things that are in your backpack, that means you are capable, capable of going further and further. And if you're able to go further, you explore more. And so this past, uh, this past season, I've been a obsessed. I've just been completely obsessed about creating the best backpack that I could possibly create. Like the, the ultra light, hyper sensitive backpack. Like so, 
So I have a backpack, <laughs> like obsessed with it. So I have this backpack that that's only four pounds. And then I have a sleeping pound or a sleeping bag that is a pound two ounces, but it's good to 20 degrees. Sick, you know? Like, and, and then I, all these different things. So over the past school year, I've been, I've been collecting and I've been studying and I've been, been putting together the ultimate backpack. Then in September, it's like, it's time to go out. It's my time to go elk hunting. And I began to pull out these things that I've collected for my perfect pack. The ultra everything is super light, not heavy, I'm going to be awesome. And so I put all these things inside my backpack, and I'm piling it, and I'm so excited. And then the moment of truth comes, and I'm going to put my backpack on, you know, because like, I did awesome. This pack has to be like the best backpack. And so I put it on and it is super heavy. And I'm like, how can that be? Because everything in it is super light, you know, like super light. I paid for that, you know? And, um, and, um, and then so I put it on the ground, like maybe I'm just tired. And then the day after I put my backpack on again, it's like, oh my gosh, like, and so then I start to go through everything. I'm like, everything in here is super light. How is this possible? Well, it's a bunch of tiny things add up to be one stinking heavy thing, you know? And it's like, I have piled in all these tiny things that, that you put them all together and they are impossibly heavy. And then I said, thank you, God, because that's a story of my life. Because I am tired all the time, and I'm anxious all the time. It's like I'm carrying this, like, heavy thing. But I can't figure out the thing that I'm doing that's bringing me so much anxiety or fear or what the heavy thing is, because it all seems to be very manageable to me. I'm intentional about the things that I take on and that I do. But it seems to me that, that my every day is just heavy and fearful and Yes, this is about backpacking too. So talking about finances can be talking about backpacking and talking about backpacking can point directly to the 12th chapter of the gospel of Luke because Jesus is all about pointing to our backpacks, the things that, that are in them that we are carrying around um, that brings us heaviness, that brings anxiety, that brings us fear. Um, so, here we go. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, uh, bring them to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, verse 22. Before, before we actually get into it, this passage is one of the coolest passages. It's very, it's kind of like a hippie passage. The hippies talk about this passage all the time. It's the, it's the consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. They don't do anything, but God takes care of them, right? And it's this passage that's like, whatever you know, type of thing. Like, it's improbable, impossible. It's, it's very optimistic, but come on. This passage is a powerful passage. Back in the 12th century, St. Francis confronted the Pope by this passage. Like, during the 12th century, the papacy was having some problems. They were very fine. 
financially holding on to things, you know, and collecting and hoarding. And it broke St. Francis's heart. And he goes into the Vatican and he's standing there barefoot and he confronts the Pope, like during, I mean, like, uh, by just simply saying, consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the fields. Almost to say, have you forgotten, right? It's this, this powerful passage that very often, you know, gets kind of swept um, kind of up, kind of in this idea of that's just too optimistic. It's just not possible. Sure, that's good encouragement, but the Pope of the 12th century was convicted by the fact that he forgot that God had been in control. So here we go. Here's the passage. So as a congregation, how about we all say this together? Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them, and how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, this little thing, why do you worry about the rest? All right. So, the context of this passage is Jesus, he has just been confronted by the previous passage. There was someone uh, who came to him and said, you know, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. Tell, blah, blah, blah. And so Jesus then goes kind of into this whole thing about guarding your heart, protecting yourself against being greedy, and he just goes into it. And he begins to talk about finances. But before that happens, he's talk, he teaches his disciples how to pray. And he, 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 he builds this prayer and he gives them this prayer about the kingdom and focusing on the kingdom. And when Hebrew people talk about the kingdom, they're not talking about the pie in the sky after you die idea. They're talking about something that is at hand. It's, it's the, the heaven crashing into earth. It's the things of God happening here. It's when, when, when God is on his throne in Palestine. You know, it's like this whole idea of the kingdom happening, the potency of this. So Jesus has just got done teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's this prayer about the kingdom, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. And then someone brings in this idea of finances, tell my brother to give me my proper inheritance. And then Jesus is like, don't be greedy. And then he begins this whole thing. I tell you, do not worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat. And then he goes into this, this famous verse, consider the birds of the air. But in this passage, he just doesn't say the birds of the air. Tell me the thing that he actually says. He says, consider the ravens. Okay, consider the ravens. And this is a really important point because whenever I think about the birds of the air, I picture these birds, they're awesome. Like they're happy, they're 
chirping. Um, they have plenty of food because they don't really eat a lot. They just peck, 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 you know, like they're the birds. And, and yeah, anyway, like they're happy and they're good. But he doesn't say consider the birds there. He says consider the ravens or the crows, right? Okay, so in biblical poetry, in biblical history, the ravens and the crows have a specific identity that they uphold something like um, how to define this I would say that they are the antithesis the opposite of a dove so in Hebrew poetry they use the idea of doves being the presence of God the presence of peace the the idea that God is here, the, do you know what I mean? But the crow or the raven is the antithesis of that. Um, They have a completely different persona and personality and purpose. The, the, crow shows up in the Bible all over the place. It's like um, the the crow is the first thing that Noah sends out on the boat that doesn't come back, right? And then he sends a dove out, which comes back. You see what I'm saying here? He could have sent out the dove all the times, but he didn't. He sent a crow never comes back. And it's kind of like the idea of what a crow is. It's a premonition of there is no hope. Um, it's this idea of, of death is at hand. Um, there's the, um, the idea of the person, persona of the crow. It has the appetite that that isn't ever uh, full. It's going for it. They cry out, and it's this horrible sounding, you know, like you hate crows. We all hate them, you know, and and, and furthermore, they're always hungry, and they flock, you know, like, ugh, right? And God doesn't say, consider the dove. He says, consider the ravens. Look at these guys, you know, and they're probably like crowing in the moment and they're eating things. Furthermore, it's important because um, something else is they are the only bird that Hebrew people can't eat. They're not kosher. They are unclean birds, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, So if you think about it, these birds are like the symbol of the antithesis of the presence of God. They're like the antithesis of hope. They're the antithesis of everything you would hope to be and everything that God would provide for. Furthermore, they're unclean birds, which means they're outside the kingdom of God. You can't eat them. And so, and then he says, consider those, and God takes care of them, right? And God God takes care of even those birds, the ones who have an appetite that is never full, those that are constantly crying out, those that are annoying and greedy, and they're carnivores too. Like they eat animals when they're dead, and it's disgusting. And that sounds like my soul. You know, like, the more I think about it, I am not this happy little presence of God type of guy who brings peace. I am more of like this crow, if I'm honest about you. You know, it's just like, I, I'm never done. I'm never finished. I never stop. And, ugh. 
He's going, consider that. God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. And that, there's something in that. If you are a Jewish person or if you're here today and you hear like, oh, for the bird who never has enough, for the bird who's always hungry, for the soul that always feels like it's scavenging, God takes care of them. And how much more does God care about you that he will take care of you? Then he says something that's very interesting. He, he kind of just tosses in this idea, this idea, idea of can someone here, who of you is capable of putting on more time to, to a day? Who, who can add time to your very very life. And it seems very out of context for him to say that here. And if there are things that seem out of context, they probably are for a point. The thing that's happening here is whenever he shifts from the idea of focusing on the crows, he invites people, focus on these crows. Do you see these crows? They're annoying. They're calling out. They're hungry. And he's like, then who of you here can add a day onto his life. There's a shift. That is the vocabulary of King Solomon. Um, Got to remember, the people that Jesus is talking to here, they are Hebrew people, and they understand the vocabulary of the different people in the Old Testament. And so whenever you talk about time and the value of time, that echoes the voice of King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's, that's, he's someone, he's this great king who God gave everything to, all, all, uh, everything. He, he's brilliant. And so he got to experience all of humanity, and he's like, it's pointless. Like, all this was pointless. The, the only thing that's valuable is time, and time with God, and the only one who can give a day or take a day is God. And so Jesus, he echoes this voice of King Solomon, and he says, who of you can add a day to your life? Because King Solomon said, this is something that only God can do, and it's very easy for him. Not a big deal. This is what he does. He's the keeper of time. And so Jesus says, who of you can add a day to to your life. And because you can't do this very simple thing, right? It's like, for him, it's like, this is a very simple thing for God to add a day to your life. Because you cannot do this, why are you so fearful about everything else? And by everything else, he's saying food or clothes or provision. Visions. Why are you so fearful about those things? As if those things are easier, do you know what I mean? That those things for God, because God can add time. He can give you your days. He can take the days away. And actually giving you food and clothes is beyond that. So if that's beyond time, then why are you concerned with being provided for? King Solomon wrote about about this in great depth. So if you're interested in it, go to the book of Ecclesiastes, spend time there. 
but then also in the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon shares this poetic heart of Solomon, which is brilliant, and it actually takes us then into the second part of this passage. Here it is. So as a congregation, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? All right. Here's something that I am so excited about. Okay, so he talks about time, and he kind of echoes the voice of King Solomon. Then he begins to go into something else. He says, consider the flowers and how the flowers grow. That isn't a big deal, right? But in the Bible, the only time that the flowers flowers of the fields are talked about are in the Song of Solomon chapter 2. Um, Song of Solomon chapter 2, he goes into the flowers of the field and the beautiful flowers. And so go in there at home when you have time. That's the only point, the point in time in the Bible that these flowers are talked about, the Song of Solomon chapter 2. And so then... Jesus, he talks about this idea of time. That is King Solomon's idea. And then he goes, goes then into this idea of the flowers of the fields. Here's the idea about the flowers of the fields. The flowers of Palestine, they only have flowers there for 10 or 14 days per year. That's it. But those 10 or 14 days, they are brilliant and beautiful and they're high and huge. And like, it's like a big deal that, that even King Solomon talks about these flowers. Like they are phenomenal, but they're very, very, very temporary because it gets so hot that they catch fire and they all burn up right? Like after 10 or 14 days, they all burn. They catch fire. It's over. And so Jesus says, consider these flowers. And they are here today and God tomorrow. They'll be cast then into the fire. Um, And then he says something that I love because you got to remember these people know the voices that he's, he's bringing up and he, they know, you know, Solomon and his idea of time and the only things that are valuable for us. It's not food. It's not clothes. It's not provision. It is the idea of time. And do you spend this time like doing what you do? And then Solomon being the poetic heart and he talks about these flowers and so Jesus draws out these flowers of the field. And then he says, and not even Solomon, you know, has been clothed as these flowers have been. It was like this, like Jesus was like brilliant and handcrafting this whole thing together. And, and, and the idea here is just simply that God will provide. That if God provides for the crows, if God provides not for the flowers, but he says for the grass. If God clothes the grass in flowers, how then will he clothe you? 
for me, it is so easy to see this passage and be like, it is so impractical. I am sorry, this just doesn't go for me. But then I think about the crow. I think about the bird. I think about the heart of that bird and so intertwined into who I am. And then I think about the flowers that he is potentially pointing at. And then I just bring, it brings me to this place that I just exhale and go, yes, that's what I need because my backpack is so heavy. There are a ton of us in here who have very, very heavy backpacks. And to us, the passage continues. Here it is. Here we go. And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And I think this is, this is huge. This is huge. It kind of p- puts the whole chapter into c- c- context. First of all, I think it's important to say, whenever he's talking about pagan people, he is n- not talking about, you know, people that have pentagrams and stuff like that. He, the, the term pagan, back in this time, it is simply people that don't have God, people that don't see God, people that don't, don't follow after God. They are pagan. They are apart from God. They're not practicing paganism. That's important, okay? So he's, drawing, he's trying to draw this separation. There are people who follow God, and there are those that do not. And he's trying to draw this separation of simply don't chase after food. Don't chase after your drink. Don't chase after the things that you, you think are super, super important because the people who don't follow God, they are chasing after those things. But set your eyes on the kingdom. See, he's going back to the place that he began when he taught his disciples how to Pray, pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for the kingdom to come. Set your eyes on the kingdom. And if your eyes are on the kingdom, and if you are going after the kingdom, you are going to be provided for. You will have food. You will have drink. You will be dressed in splendor. You will be taken care of. You will be blessed, you know? Um, But don't chase after these things. Chase after the kingdom. Chase after heaven crashing into earth. So, the idea, though, of keeping our eyes on the kingdom, like how, yeah, you know, like, like how does that go practically? Like, I hadn't been born St. Francis, you know, of Assisi, you know? I did not have this heart of, of poverty, and I'm all about the kingdom of heaven, and, and I'm all about seeing heaven crash. Like, like, he was brilliant and confrontational, but humble and good. The thing is, is that St. Francis hadn't been born St. Francis either. In fact, he was born as someone who was very affluent. He was, he was a part of a very, very, very upper class family, a very persuasive family. He was a partier. Uh, like, like, 
people even said he had a bad personality. Um, but, but he was confronted too, as far as this passage goes, and it turned inside of his heart and turned inside of his head. Consider the birds of the air. Consider, because he had a heavy backpack too. He had anxiety of who he was supposed to be growing up being a part of his family, who his parents expected him to be, the finances he had to oversee, the, the persuasion that he had, and the expectations that were over him. But God changed his heart, and, and, and he, over time, turned kind of into this guy who was the voice of the kingdom and confronting people, saying, keep your eyes on the kingdom of God. Your backpacks do not have to be heavy. The church is supposed to be a place of freedom and health and not burdensome responsibility. The only thing at home that I have a hard time talking about is finances. Like, I hate talking about money. Um, if in fact, so if it comes up, the thing I do is say, I don't care. I, that's the thing I say. Like she'll say, so I have to talk to you about this. And I'll say, I don't care. Just handle it. Like I hate money. Um, it's kind of my thing. Um, because growing up, my family hated money. It was, you know, something that was like this taboo topic of, you know, finances and money. And we're always, you know, in debt and in the hole and it felt slimy and ugh. And so I got married and that continued on. It was like, you know, just going paycheck to paycheck and it was heavy and fearful. Can I afford? Can I afford? Can I pay for it? Am I, can, can I provide? How do we pay for college? How do we save? I don't have it. I don't know. And I mean, like the, the amount of anxiety um, that finances uh, Brings. It's, it's pretty potent for me. And I, you know, from, from talking to other people, that's a common thing. Um, that if you talk about money, it's like, dude, our hearts shrivel up. You know, it's like, we will talk about anything else. You know, who has a pornography problem? I, you know, it's like, you know, anything, you know? Um, sorry, that was <laughs> kind of spur of the moment, shooting from the hip. Um, but it's just a hard thing to talk about um, to a point. Um, so it came to this point where I'm like, I just can't do it anymore. I can't be afraid of money. I can't, um, I can't hide. Our family has fallen apart because, you know, of our bills. And, 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 this whole thing is going to sound like hokey, but I bought this 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 program about financial peace, like the financial peace program, and I began to do it, you know, as a family, and it like turned everything upside down. I did not get a pay raise. I did not like get this huge cash flow thing coming in, but it gave me these kingdom perspectives and principles of things that I was like, oh, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be something that's slimy. And, and my future does not have to be something that I'm 
terrified about. Furthermore, when the pumpkin spice coffee comes and I start to evaluate things, I don't need to be afraid. I don't have to be anxious. Like, I can begin to plan and be ambitious and dream and to grow because that's, that's the heart of God for people and his kingdom. God's heart is for us to experience hope and it's to experience freedom. And so when he says, consider the crows and consider these flowers and consider the time you have and consider the things that you have been given, a bunch of us take this perspective of possibly those are the things that I'm going to be given, possibly in the future, possibly in the end, these things are at hand. But that isn't how this passage comes to the end. Hold on. Here it is. Here we go. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You see, the vocabulary there, it's has been pleased to give you. It's happened. The kingdom is at hand. And that's Jesus' vocabulary. The kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is going to come. And in this, he's saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of your food. Do not be, be, be afraid of your clothing. Do not be, be afraid of the things I provide for you because your father has been pleased to give you and to offer you the entire kingdom. The thing that I taught you to pray for like a half an hour ago, that has been given to you already. And that is a brilliant perspective, but that's a lot to chew on and to hold on. And so, so whenever he says, consider the birds of the air and the flowers you know, of the field, the truth kind of is, who has the time to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like, who has the time to sit and ponder the flowers in the field? And who has the time to sit and hear the birds chirp? Nobody, because we are so caught up in anxiety and getting our stuff done. So today, I'm going to offer you something awesome. I want to offer you um, some time to sit here and to not do anything, but consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the fields to think about how God provides for them, to think about how God comes alongside them, and to think about how much more he cares about you than those things. Because who am I to give you any better advice on how to confront your anxiety than God himself when he's talking to anxious people people and he says, consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. So here's our opportunity to do that. So sit and get comfortable. Enjoy it.